as people said, we don't want six letters, but we would like two, two, two. What we've done is we've actually looked at the market and decided that there's a market for all and you can't just have one or the other. Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And welcome to another edition of Grounded with Melanie Walker. I'm fortunate enough to be joined by two gentlemen today, of course, Michael Rickoff, my usual partner in crime, my little <laughs> garden guru, and, um, or should I say garden name? No, that's me, Nomalee Gromit. And of course, <laughs> <laughs> from the Bedding Plant Association, Peter Goodwin. Hello, Peter. How are you all? We're, we're good. Um, no, I think we're very good, as you can hear. Full of the joys. <laughs> <laughs> can we get back to gardening or? No, let's talk about bordellos. I'm sure that you gentlemen would appreciate it. No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> we can talk about gardens in bordellos. There's some good ones. We are actually here to talk about what bedding plants are looking great at this time of the year. Well, you know, at this time of the year, everything's looking great. But I think we have to sort of think back and look at September. What a month. It was so different. And I think that's why I'm actually smiling. Everything seems to be different. Why was it different? At the moment. Very windy. Mm-hmm. And we hoped it would bring some rain, which it did. But we don't normally have winds like that in September. It's normally September no. is just, it's, it's that, that's in between month. It's sort of coming from the winter into the summer. Yeah, the and winds are usually kind of August, maybe the beginning of September. I remember when we were shooting outside when the winds mm. came through. But August traditionally, mm. but we've had, uh, and of course I measure it to fire season because on the farm, of course, fire season is normally August. We've yes. had, we've had a fire literally at the end of September and there are a lot of fires around. So yeah, it's just, I think the, the climate's very different at the moment. And I also heard a, a wonderful thing the other day that we can only expect the first rains to come after Urm Bull's birthday, which was on the 10th of October. And that's when we start getting good rains. Okay. Do you know that whole story? It was no. an old wives tale. No. Yeah. It was just basically them saying, you know, Urm Paul Kruger. Yes. They said, no, he has to have his birthday first before the rains can come. Okay. I just loved that. I saw that the other day. It was so cool. But hasn't, I mean, hasn't it been crazy waking up sometimes and thinking, you know, how can, how can it be this cold? Yes. Because it yes. has been like that on several mornings and, and I'm late into October. How can it be this cold? It's not really possible. And it's quite crazy because by the afternoon it's hot again. So it has been very weird. Yeah, I think it is weird weather at the moment. I I think the wind has been the biggest problem, though, because of drying out. You know, when people don't realize how wind dries out gardens, Mm. we're very harsh as it is. And, of course, with the wind, I think it's made a huge difference. And people have battled in their gardens. They're not looking as summery as they should be, but now they'll take off. I mean, now we're in the right month. Bedding plants are looking ecstatic at the moment. I think the nurseries are all looking good. So if you really want inspiration, you know, get down to your local nursery and have a chat to the salespeople and go mad. It's really, there's lots of color around at the moment. The one we're going to talk about today Impatience, of course, is um, yeah, very topical. Yes. But I think we've got some really good news on impatience now. And people can stop saying, oh, but you've got a huge choice of impatience, all the different ones. And you've still got the old, as we call them, the old busy lizzies, mm. which some people still want. Everybody and wants them. They're all like, I need these yeah. seeds. These are what I want in my garden. These are just the ones. I don't want those ones that sit in the shade. I don't want this. I no. want those. And I think as long as, you know, we do find that as the, if the rain comes, then, yeah, they do tend to give a little bit of a problem. But I think last year there were very, very few problems mm. with mm. impatience. So with the range that we've got, um, yeah, I think we're in for a really good 
summer garden with impatience this year. So what are the differences between the various sun patients that you can, but the sun patients and impatience and New Guinea impatience? Yeah, one's got to be careful because, okay, if we just look at the busy lizzies, those are your normal impatience that everybody knows and have grown for years and years. They're the ones that got hit with the disease. Once that happened, we then started bringing in the, the New Guinea's been around for a long time. Mm. But it's very expensive. It's very expensive to produce. It's a very difficult plant to produce. But it is almost a perennial. It's back to our old story. Yeah. That's like the begonias, that if it doesn't get too harsh and if it's in the right position, it carries on year after year. One mm. must just not cut them back in the winter. Just leave them. Your New Guinea is very different. It's not a, it's a little bit harder, I would say. It's not as soft. You know, impatience, mm. there's just something about impatience that make them very, very soft, delicate, and yet spectacular because their flower and their color is just amazing. And the colors are so varied. I mean, there are just so many different colors of impatience. And I think this is what's important. And people are used to them. You know, we, we get used to plants and we don't like change. And I think when the disease hit us, it was it was a disaster for all gardens and for the industry. Mm. But now we're over it. And as I say, the one that we're looking at now is the New Guinea, which is very popular. It's uh, again, it is expensive. Then, of course, we've got a new one, which is called Harmony. This is also these are new ones that are bred overseas and then they come out here. And sun patients, we have to get back to a little later. But um, the sun patients, you won't get those in trays. You only get them in pots. Again, also very expensive, but can take the full sun. But, you know, a lot of people today are planting impatience, not in a direct afternoon sun, but certainly in the morning sun. They can handle the morning sun very effectively, and it really is yeah, it's doing well there. But which ones actually are the best in the shade? I mean, I always thought New Guinea's in the shade, the New normal impatience in, in semi-shade. In semi-shade. Mm. Look, impatience are shade plants. But if you go out and see where the landscapers are using them these days, especially where there's irrigation, they're putting them almost everywhere. And because they are so spectacular, I think mm. this is the, the, the one point with impatience. It's just they are so colorful. And they are low. People are going to say, oh, they're not. But they are low maintenance. You don't have to deadhead them. You just have to feed them, water them, and that's it. And you don't need to water them every day. You can get away with every second day. And the interesting thing with impatience is they tell you when they need water. Mm. You know, they sort of look a little bit limp at night, and one mustn't be caught by that either. And don't go and water in the evenings. If they're looking a bit limp, you'll see the next morning when you water them, they'll pop up within an hour, they're looking sprightly again. Oh, it's like peace lilies. They start falling over if you don't give them water. So that's, yes. I like plants that tell me when I'm supposed to do No, they what. do. And they react. I think that's the important thing. They'll look a bit sad in the evening, you'll water them the next morning, and they're fine. Mm. And I think, that's yeah, I think the most important thing about impatience from a landscaping or even gardening point of view is it is a shade solution. And that's what, where I think people took a big knock and landscapers didn't know which way to turn. No, absolutely. Because we, you know, we do find this color. And so it's, it's good news to hear that the impatience are doing okay. Um, it's good news to hear, well, you know, from a landscaping point of view, I'm sort of impatience in the shade and petunias in the sun. That's kind of where I go. Okay. But you know, a lot of people are saying the impatience are coping better. You know, the, the busy lizards are coping better. They're not, they're not so. damping off so quickly. No. Is this because they've been hybridizing them? Is there a strain coming through that, or are they just becoming more resistant? I think they're becoming more resistant. You know, it's a difficult one to answer because, you know, nature takes its course. I think what we, we haven't changed any breeding in them. They, they are still the same impatience, especially the busy lizards. Same impatient. I think our climate's also changed. What we've got to be very careful of with that particular 
damping off, as you call it, is that if it's very cold and wet, that's what creates the problem. So if we go into a situation where it is wet and cold, what you need to do is just look at your impatience. Be observant. Don't wait until they turn yellow. Just have a look at them, rub your hand over them, and you'll see like a little fine powder. If that's there, you can still spray. Because what happens is it's, a, it's, it's actually it's like a powdery mildew that is on the back of the leaf. So unfortunately, you don't see it. But there are sprays which you can use if it does happen to show up. What most people do is they forget and they wait until as soon as that leaf turns yellow, the plant's dying already. So you're not going to yeah. be able to save it because it affects weak. the transpiration on, the, in, on the, uh, the outside of the leaf. And the bottom of the leaf, that's where the problem lies. You say something interesting, and this has sort of stuck a chord with me in terms of saying if it's cold and damp, and a lot of people think mm. if it's warm and damp, that's when you're going to get Ex- the mold juice. And I through. think that was really what caught all of us because we weren't aware of that. We are very aware of warm and damp. Mm. I mean, that just creates a high for all sorts of different diseases and pests and everything else. But this one was definitely, it was where it was damp and cold. And this is where this particular one raised its head. And we have dealt with it. I think in the beginning, I think we went through that stage where people then went off the plant. They didn't like the plants. They weren't prepared to take a chance. A lot of people had planted up for Christmas. And what happened just before Christmas, they all died. So that's not going to happen again, I don't think. You know, I we've think been. I think there's something of a stigma with a lot of people, um, you know, especially yeah. people who might have experienced it. I think that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. Definitely there is a resurgence, I suppose, in people's interest, especially, and that's why we asked the question, you know, okay, well, you know, are we just, are we just going through the motions? Are we going to go through the pain again? You know, we, we don't yeah. know. You don't know. You yeah. know, nature yeah. takes its course. Well, I think yeah. that if you did have impatience that had that problem in the garden, then rather try and actually get the soil sorted out because people went and then planted impatience in exactly the same place same where the place. ones that died and they just picked up that virus as well. Yes. And then they died again so you need to make sure that you don't have any of that pathogen if you want to call it that left in the soil first i know i heard some Mm. people saying that you should like go and cleanse the soil with jay's fluid i'm not quite sure about that i I don't i don't i can't see myself doing that (laughs) you know if you've got a you know i always say to people and we shouldn't say this on radio because look jay's fluid is is terrible i mean it does kill it kills all the good guys and it kills the bad guys unfortunately so as long as you use a back to life type product Mm. you can i mean a lot of people really do have problems with their soil and the only thing they can do is just a tablespoon jay's in five liters of water drench the soil leave it for a week, and then start feeding it with some type of back-to-life yeah. product so you get some the good guys cast, back. You know, earthworm castings. Earthworm castings are stuff, very, yeah. very, very good. It is scary when you think that, oh, my soil, I can't put anything in there. And I mean, we go into crop rotation if you have problems with nematodes in your soil yes. as well. So getting your soil right is always a big thing. And people come and say to you, you know, what is the first thing I must do in a garden? And I sort out your soil. And I think using compost. You know, people are very scared to use composts. Oh, come on, let's, let's be honest. I mean, whenever, you know, you first start gardening, you think, oh, this composting thing. Everybody says compost, compost, compost. It's just a marketing ploy. And also, you see, didn't you think that at first when you started gardening, Michael? Well, I think, you know, if you didn't know any better, you just think, oh, I don't need that. I've got soil in my garden. Why do I need compost? Exactly. When you people are using compost, they say, but why do we need to feed our plant? No, we don't need to feed, feed the plant because the compost feeds it. I don't so know. My there are a lot of works nuts like out there. And I always just say, you know, your, your feed is like multivitamins. Yeah. Your compost mm-hmm. is your base food. 
that the plant has to have, but it hasn't got enough of everything. Mm. And compost doesn't change. Compost has basically the same nutrients. Whereas through the season, you need different nutrients for different times well, of a plant's life. Compost is like a soil conditioner. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. there's some good stuff in yeah. there which the plant can take up, but you do need to feed them. And it does certainly, and it changes your soil. It yeah. makes it, I don't think you're not going to have problems with nematodes and things like that. If your soil is healthy, your plants are healthy. I think that's the bottom well, line. Well, yeah, I think, I think one of the things I've experienced most with gardeners is they say, well, you know, Mike, you keep on saying compost, but you know, I composted my soil three years ago and look, it's just, <laughs> yeah, okay. And, and what we yeah. don't understand is it breaks down and you yeah, have to so kind of Do you have children? Doing. Yes. How how often do you feed them? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Your yeah. child. Do you think a child's going to live and keep growing if you don't mm. feed them and give them mm. water? I fed yeah. them three years ago. They should be okay. But it's the same with indoor <laughs> plants. You know, the inside plant. I think people come in and say, you know, but why must I feed them? You know, they they're doing fine, and then they'll come in later and say, but they're looking a little bit yellow. And you say, yeah, but you know, you watering, and what's happening is all the goodness is leaching out with the water. Yeah, exactly. People you know, don't. Yeah, we just don't think sometimes. People do. You know, we've always had this thing about you know people are here going up to where my forehead is, and then you take your hand up much higher and say, plants are there. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I think we've got to. Uh, you know, I go with the simple. I think we've got to just keep it simple. I mean, I've said to you many times, I watch them in the nursery when they come in and they see all these fertilizers. And you can see they don't know where to start. And gone are the days where you used to use the old 232. Two. I mean, that was what all the farmers mm. used and that just spread into the gardens as well. But now you don't have to do that. You can plant with a 232 two to start with. You can move on to a high nitrogen fertilizer after that. As soon as it starts flowering, you go into a low nitrogen, high potassium. Mm. And it makes it – there is one particular company who's made it very easy. I mean, it basically is 232, high nitrogen. You can go for, say, an 815 and then a 513. Yeah. And it just tells you on the front of the, of the package And well. the packaging is phenomenal these days. It says, days. for fruits and flowers. It's yes. easy. And the big <laughs> pictures of fruits or flowers yes. or vegetables. Yes, I keep on telling people yeah, that's yeah. what you need to do. Now, Michael, I mean, you spend a lot more time planting in the garden than I do. So, I mean, we, we were talking about sun patients, impatience, and that's a general go-to. I mean, did you find that you had to swap over to begonias quite a lot when you were doing your shady planting for customers? Yeah, very much so. I mean, we we, we certainly went the, the begonia route, and um, it's quite restrictive, I think, in so many ways. All the landscape has definitely missed the, the whole impatience as an option. Um, and it's, it's nice to know it's back. But of course, you know, we did also turn to a lot, you know, the, the face of landscaping also changed as well at the same time where we started going for the, the more greener varieties like the plectranthus mm. and started accepting that, you know, foliage was the way to go at that time. Mm. Mm. So, you know, in looking for, in looking for shade plants, we went more for foliage plants and we started to move away from the flowering plants. And I think that's changing again. Mm. We're starting to now once again look for the color. Well, you're getting some lovely combinations coming up yeah. now. I think this is what we're starting to notice. I mean, look at the coleus. Mm. You know, all the different coleus. And the one we're going to talk about just now is the hyperestes. Hyperestes is really, it's, it, it was, it was an old, what we call an old fashioned plant, but it's, it's yeah, revived. It's always in old gardens. Always I remember it was just growing gardens. somewhere in the shade in, in my mom's and it's house. It's always in the yeah. cold places in the south of the garden and, it just, but now I think because of what happened with impatience, I think we, it opened our eyes and it said, like you saying, we had to look at a lot of different perennials which could take the place. And foliage is also, we mustn't forget the color of foliage. It, it plays a very big part. It's not only the flowers. Mm. Often it is the foliage. And of course, the use of vegetables today. 
People are using vegetables very successfully for color and for body in their gardens. No, and especially mm. like the Swiss chard bright lights, you know, yeah, and that, bright that gives you so much color and fullness and it looks lush and tropical That's in a way. It. Yeah. Oh, no, I think it's, you're starting to see combinations, especially on the smaller gardens because people haven't got room for a veggie garden. Mm. So they're creating a veggie garden in their normal garden and it's, it's working. In all honesty, I think that the, the, the choices are so much more now. Um, much more. Even, even, you know, if I think six or seven years back, when I walk through garden centers, now I go to growers or whatever the case may be. What's available is just so different. And I think it's also a case of us having said, you know, we don't want to be held hostage again. Mm. Um, mm. You know, held to ransom for something that, okay, this is the go-to plant. And all of a sudden, I've lost mm. my go-to plant. And there's not another go-to go- There's no plan B. Yes. So I think there, there are lots of plans out there where we say, you know, well, if that's not going to work, something else can work, mm. and they're available. And I think there's a strong mm. move into, of course, indigenous. You know, there are a lot of gardens that mm. say, you know, you've got to be fully indigenous. But there's also lots of color in indigenous today. I mean, look how indigenous has changed. Indigenous used to be boring um, in terms of color. There wasn't really a lot available. But today, you can go to some of the specialized indigenous nurseries and there's a fortune of stuff available. Mm. I know you've just spoke to Carrie a little while ago and she's very into that indigenous side. And we find it in Craig Wall, but what we're seeing there is that people are combining. You know, they're using indigenous and they're using exotic. There's That's nothing the wrong with exotics. Yeah. And I think this is what it's, it, there's no fast rule that says I must be exotic or I must be indigenous because you're going to find that it's going, your garden's going to suffer. And mm. if you enjoy it, rather go out and just use the combinations that are available. But one of the big questions, I mean, we, we are talking about, we, we were talking about shade plants is what do you do? And I mean, you also have to understand what your shade is about. You get dry shade. So everybody thinks, oh, it's a shady area. That means the soil is going to be quite moist. And that's not the case. No. All too often, it's like totally dry because the trees have sucked up all the water. Yes. Um, not getting watered in that area. So it's like really hard, dry soil. Yeah. And then we also get moist shade. Mm. So, you know, you have to say to the people, well, I can't really put those plants in there unless we have an irrigation system because yes. they're just going to die because there isn't enough water. And they're like, but they're under the trees. They're protected. You know, and I'm like, no, but still, it's not going to work they're that protected, way. They're protected, but yeah. they 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 actually suffering because there's no food. Yeah. And then, I mean, when it comes to under the trees and in shade, obviously we were saying your foliage plants are the way to go. And I've always thought of, you know, even over in England, you get the hostas which come through. And, I mean, they give those bright lime you green see, sparks. You know, but you've got the humidity. There. Yes. But we have right. to then look at the stuff which handle the heat and mm. the shade. Mm. And that's why, I mean, I always think the polka dot plant. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things I just see it growing wherever. Yes. And I mean, usually, I mean, you said in a, in a dark south place. No, I had them in, in my garden in the place where I keep all my succulents. And they were, and they were perfectly happy. They just grow wherever. It's like Vinca used to be the, the periwinkle, which is That's now the on one. the, um, invasives list. Yes. I mean, that would grow in deepest shade right through to full sunlight. Yes. Yes. Now the Vinca in the annuals, mm. a lot of people used to think that was the impatient. Yes. For the sun, because it's a very similar flower, a very different foliage. Yes. But similar flower, whereas, and that's why a lot of people don't understand where sun patients come from. You know, that's a new one. That's only been around for about the last three, four years. Mm. Um, grown under license. So they are quite difficult to get. And I think the variety of colors is not as good as your normal busy lizzies and your normal impatients. But of course, there again, it's for a specific purpose. And I think that's what's important is that we're starting to use plants for the purpose we need mm. them. Your New Guineas, for instance, New Guineas are stunning in containers. Yes. That's where they really, really do well. 
And they also do well as, as focus plants. Um, they were used as focus plants. You would find them in a container at an entrance, for instance, or you would find them on a patio because people can move them around. Mm. So they would move them in and out, and that was quite exciting. Now, what kind of conditions would a hypoestes need? I think that's what, I, and I called it the polka dot plant because that's kind of what I was always knew it as. To a lot begin of people, with. and that, that's what a lot of people refer to. But there it are as. different kinds of hypoestes as well, aren't there? I mean, I know Michael and I used them quite successfully on a vertical garden that we did out at Lifestyle. And we had a whole swathe of the ones that had like a deep red uh, with the dark green. And then it went through to a pink mottled with the green and then through to the white. Okay. So all the different speckles, the polka dots. That would, have been, that would have been more a perennial type of hyperestis, I would think. Um, the ones that we grow as an annual, basically it's either green or it's pink or it's mm -hmm. white. And um, it's, it doesn't really – it doesn't creep. Mm -hmm. It's more an upright. Mm -hmm. um, same for conditions as your impatience, only they don't need as much feed. They certainly don't need as much water. They can actually, they are a very good drought plant. So if you are concerned about water, hyperestes is a good one to put in. And because it's a foliage plant, you can actually combine it with almost anything. Mm. You know, it's, it's colors blend with any other color in the garden. And I think that's what's important. Um, this is, this is what I, I think a lot of people, and, and we don't want to dispel any sort of, um, you know, fantasies or rumors or whatever no. the case, but bedding plants. I mean, the minute you say bedding plant to somebody, they, they, or seedlings, they think about color, they think about flowering plants, but I think that's becoming, um, the, the options that you've got in terms of your bedding plants and in terms of your seed trays yes. are becoming a lot more foliage driven. Oh, in yes. the sense that you have a lot more foliage options. You know, one of the things that traditionally even I think about when we used to go and look at bedding plants or, or seed trays specifically is that seed trays, they were flowers. You would go and buy flowers. And yes. we know that you get more in terms of, on, well, on the one side, certainly veggies, <laughs> lots yes. of veggies in seed trays, but uh, foliage plants. I even see grasses and I see <laughs> all the weirdest kind of plants these days as bedding or seed tray options. This is obviously something that, you know, you would look at to say, well, you know, now you can have the foliage options and you can introduce color into those foliage options because, you know, garden is not a one-dimensional space. So no. you have to have that backdrop. You have to have mm. the foliage. And you were talking about coleuses, and I've seen some mind-blowing coleuses. Wow, they are, yes. And those are also available in seed trays. So, you know, your options are just getting broader and broader and broader. Actually, you bring up an interesting point because the reason we also use seed trays was from an economic point of view. People are starting to plant more bulk. Mm. So, you know, seed trays of ways, I mean, they started off when we started. I mean, used to get 12 in a pack. Then it came down to nine in a pack. Then it was six in a pack. But that's, that's the way this, the, the annuals have gone. The bedding plants have gone. Perennials have gone the other way. They started with one in a pot. Then they started doing what we call a four pack. Mm. And it's the landscapers that actually created that niche where they do bulk planting. They didn't need all these pots. So you started to see four packs, then it was six packs. And I mean, I think we in the nursery have got certain perennials in a 24 pack now, just for convenience and for the economics of the whole well, thing. Well, you get these, I mean, you get so your 60 packs or yes. 90 or something. But, but now the interesting question for me is from an economic viability point of view, I don't know if this is negatively impacted on retailers where retailers are almost having to go that route and saying, well, we have to offer these things to the public and we can't just sell you 20 pots, you know, but we can sell you a seed tray with 20 plants in it or whatever the case, or 24 I think as retailers and as growers, what we've done is we've actually looked at the market and decided that there's a market for all. 
And you can't just have one or the other. Definitely. I mean, you know, we find we have to keep like a, a lavender, let's say, in a four liter bag. But then we have a lavender in a little four seedling tray as well. So you can buy four of them a lot smaller, but they're going to grow very quickly. So it also depends on your budget. It depends on the type of garden. Then we go to the bigger plants where you've got a four liter going into a 10 liter. A lot of people have got established plants. And when they want to re-transplant, they don't want a small plant. Mm. They actually are prepared to pay the price because let's say they've got a viburnum and a hedge of viburnums and one dies. It's no use putting a, a little four liter Viburnum into that area. You, you now need to get need a, big a one. 20 liter. Mm. So I think what we've tried to do is see what the gardeners are looking for and plan accordingly. So the garden centers themselves will carry a wide range from a, a small pot up to a big container and then different sizes. I think what we've tried to do as growers certainly is actually regulate what size plant goes into a container because that became a problem at one stage where you were getting a 10-liter bag with a, a four-liter height plant in it. Yes, and, and the public knew it. And the public knew it. Yeah. So they try to standardize that and say, okay, guys, this is what we expect from a 10-liter or a 20-liter. And there are regulations now that you may not sell a plant, a small plant in a big bag. It's good to hear. It's and, good that, to hear. And, and that's becoming far more popular as well. Now talking about size. Um <laughs> the hyper, sorry. Hyperestes, how tall do these ones get? I mean you, you say that those are the ones that are good in the same conditions as you would have your own patients. How big do they get? They don't go much over two hundred. One fifty is about the height that they'll mm -hmm. get to. They get very bushy. And I think that's what's really nice with the hyperestes is that it's bushy and it's the leaf, that the structure of the leaf is very delicate. I mean, I'm back to this delicate thing again. You know, you spoke to Mike about the impatience and the begonias. Begonias are wonderful, wonderful plants, but people mm. don't see them as a delicate plant. They don't see them as a special as plant. Scraggly. I don't know. And yeah, so and they yet, need to be messed. And that's just they one must, of those has plants. to be huge mm. amounts of planting mm. for those. Yeah, definitely. And that's where I think the impatience, people took a long time. I mean, we, I can remember saying to people, but you know, you've got begonias. Oh no, we don't know if we like begonias. I, I was the same. I don't yeah. like begonias. And then of course, there's a, the other thing with begonias is there's two different color leaves. So you've got your brown leaf and your green leaf. Mm. A lot of people say you can only plant the green leaf in shade and the brown leaf is for sun. I look at it slightly differently. I say that the green leaf, actually, the reason it does well in the shade is because it stands out in the shade. Yes. Whereas a brown leaf doesn't. So, yeah, it's all... It's we like to call them bronze, you know. It sounds a little bit... Bronze. bronze. <laughs> Brown leaf, it sounds like it died. It up and died. Nobody loved me. Everybody hates me. There we go. But so, so getting getting on to just one thing where Mel and I were, and, and we're winding up now, just to, to... One of the things that I noticed they are doing is creating seed trays, for instance, with varieties in them. So you can get six different plants in a seed tray. Um, whereas oh, yes. you'd get six and you'd have to go and find somebody to swap with because you only needed two. And, and the that's herbs, also because oh, the herbs, types of herbs, yeah, no, the herbs and the veggies, well. we've been forced to do that because as people said, we don't want six lettuce, yeah. but we would like two, two, two. Um, two, two, two. It's <laughs> quite difficult with the bedding plants generally. We have tried it, but you know, the, the bedding plant annuals, as we know them, the petunias, et cetera, et cetera, have very specific growing habits. So. Mm -hmm. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Always nice to talk to you, Peter. I, I think it's been a wonderful thing. And thank you very much for sharing all that new information. No, we love it. And we'll catch up with you again. Don't forget, of course, you can go on, just go and look Bedding Plant Association online. And uh, they, they have lots of wealth of information there for everybody as well. And from Mike and myself side, we'll catch you again next time. Until then, get out in the garden, but above all, remain grounded. Bye-bye.
For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded.